This is an AMI podcast. I'm Joyita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Many of us are thinking about our mothers. They work hard pulling a double day. Motherhood is often held up as something to be desired. And if your mother is anything like my mother, she's probably the only person in your life who isn't afraid to tell it exactly like it is. And while all mothers no doubt juggle a lot, research into mothers with disabilities finds that many face heightened stigma, scrutiny, and barriers to parenting. But even before all that, mothers with disabilities routinely get asked the dreaded question, are you sure you want to have this baby? Do you really want to pass on your disability? So even as we celebrate mothers, it's a time to reflect on who gets to claim motherhood as a valuable life option. Today, we discuss disability and motherhood. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. It's our Mother's Day edition. I'm Joita Gupta. And I have to tell you right off the cuff, I am not a mother. I don't have kids of my own. I have a lot of respect for women who are moms. I don't know how you pull it off. Uh, I will say that The Pulse is my baby, but that's about the extent of it. My guest today, however, is not only a mother, but she's also a disability activist, a private consultant, and is someone who's well known to all of us on this channel, Jewel Smith recently completed her PhD into disability and motherhood, and I thought, what a great opportunity to bring her back to the program. Jewel, welcome back to The Pulse. It's so nice to speak to you again. Thank you for having me today. What prompted your interest in disability and motherhood? So as a, you know, I I raised my children as a single mother and um, very quickly experienced many barriers as I was raising my children. And I also, when my youngest was only six months old, I started my bachelor degree and became quite engaged in the disability activist community and realized very little conversation was happening on mothering and disability. Why is there this silence, even within the disability community? Let's not talk about outside of the disability community, but why does disability activism not seem to entirely embrace the conversation about motherhood and mothering? I think there's a lot of reasons. The first one being it's, you know, we face a lot of um, over surveillance and scrutiny when we're parenting with a disability. And I think that that leads to often parents not wanting to discuss the, you know, what it's like to be a disabled parent and draw attention to ourselves. I also think that there are just so many hurdles and barriers experienced on a daily basis that it comes down to not very many disabled parents are activists at the same time that they're parenting. So that might not come about in the conversation. And there are just so many issues, as you know, that um, our community experiences that Mm -hmm. it seems to always be the one that's dropped off. Right. And those issues are numerous, as you mentioned, employment, housing, transit, you name it, there are barriers. But what kind of barriers exist specifically for mothers with disabilities? So my recent dissertation, I interviewed um, disabled mothers in two provinces in Canada and talked to them about their experiences across the lifespan. 
So right from being young girls, many of the women that I interviewed talked about not having access to accessible information on sexual and reproductive health, not knowing what to expect um, as they became young women, um, not having the regular access to information about you know, just reproductive care in itself, about um, contraceptives and the options, how that might interact with their disability, mm-hmm. all the way through, you know, just making, you know, deciding if they wanted to to become parents or not. Mm-hmm. Do you think, and I, I mean, I struggled with that choice myself, is there a, a, an element of genetic guilt that comes up where, you know, parents are taught to, are asked to seriously consider whether they want to pass on their disability. Is that some of what the women you spoke to at some point in their life had to wrestle with? For sure. I, I, they, they did talk about that, especially those with genetic conditions. But I also want to stress that many folks who do not have genetic conditions experienced um, ableism when they would try to talk to their doctors who didn't know enough about their disability to maybe know that that's not hereditary and mm-hmm. um, maybe didn't know how pregnancy would interact with their disability. So I, I do know that the women wrestled with it. And I know that many of my friends who have made decisions to have children or not talk about um, societal's concept on, you know, the potential of having a disabled child. Mm-hmm. And also the potential of being a quote-unquote good mother who is a paragon of virtue versus a bad mother. How do mothers with disabilities typically get perceived by judges, by uh, social workers, and other people who often make value judgments about the quality of parenting? I think that the standard is very high for um, for disabled, especially disabled mothers, not just disabled parents, but if you're a woman and you um, you know, there's a lot of surveillance in the community. If you, your parenting looks different, there's assumptions if you're blind or if you're deaf that maybe you won't <clears throat> know what's going on with your child. And, it, and again, these are very false assumptions, but they're, mm-hmm. they're assumptions that are experienced. Women who are wheelchair users um, or have limited mobility talked about people making assumptions that they couldn't care for their child or on the opposite if they appeared to be parenting very well there were assumptions made that they were just doing fine and and couldn't benefit from a little additional support Mm. speaking of supports i know that in toronto where i live there is at least one clinic that uh, at sunnybrook hospital that deals with people with disabilities uh, with mothers uh, with disabilities and pregnant women with disabilities but that's just one clinic in the at least in the whole country that I know of, how widespread are services and supports for mothers with disabilities to help them through the the pregnancy journey, but also beyond that into parenting? You know, honestly, they're very sporadic. I I only heard of um, a couple in our country. And I also heard varying ideas about the success of those, those particular clinics in their support. Um, one of the things I heard clearly was that there was an assumption that the disability would look and behave in quotes a certain way within the space. So um, one woman talked about how the, the assumption that she would you know, be a wheelchair user and that she wouldn't want to use options like giving birth in water or being able to move around or what it would look like supporting her body during labor. Um, so I just, you know, the, the first thing is that there are not a lot of locations. And the second thing is that there are really particular ways that pregnancy is managed in those spaces. 
I, I was just wondering then how you feel about professions like midwifery or gynecology, because I, for one, have never heard of a midwife or midwives being equipped to or to deal specifically with mothers with disabilities to guide them through their pregnancy journey. How well equipped are these professions, would you say? So one of the things I heard really clearly from the moms that I interviewed was there seemed to be a disconnect of the embodied experience of disability during pregnancy. So for example, um, a, a woman who had a, has a heart condition talked about having to see separate doctors about her heart while she was pregnant. And then the doctor who dealt with her pregnancy wouldn't talk about her heart or the interaction between the two. And so I, I think you're right. There's a long way to go. Um, in, in understanding the embodied experience of the two things existing at once, that's pregnancy mm -hmm. and your disability, and then how those things will interact. I also heard a lot from moms um, who, who perhaps had a psychosocial disability and misinformation about medications in pregnancy and a lot of fear mongering about pregnancy and their mental health condition. So again, I, I just think there's a lot more research needed and we have a long way to go to do better for moms. Mm -hmm. Now, speaking of moms, my mom learned how to be a mother from her mom, who I presume learned from her mom and on and on it goes. How are family members when it comes to women choosing to become pregnant? If there are women with disabilities, uh, is there a lot of family support for that? Or did you hear about families backing off or, uh, you know, being, you know, showing consternation or even, you know, anger at the thought of some people with disabilities choosing to have children of their own? I think that, I mean, what I heard from women, it, it seemed to be split down the middle. There were some families who 100% didn't think that the woman should choose to have family. Some talked about being disowned or support withdrawn from their parents and their extended family, while others talked about the amazing support that their family offers and the contributions that meant that they could, you know, do things like get a mortgage and build a fully accessible home to parent in and, and such. So, I, you know, my sample size wasn't that big and, and even the sample sizes of other projects I've read all seem to be small and I think it's really important to do more work on that, because again it goes back to internalized ableism and in our assumptions, which lead families to maybe be fearful of their their adult children having their own children. I'm Joyita Gupta. My guest today is Jewel Smith. Jewel is a private consultant, disability activist, and a voice you have likely often heard on this network. We are talking about Jewel's research, recently completed because she just got her PhD in November of last year, about disability and motherhood. Now, we've talked a lot about your research in the first half of the program, but you yourself are a mother. How did your research change the way you perceived your experiences as a mother? You know, I didn't start my research till my sons were quite a bit older. Um, as much like the moms I interviewed, there's a lot of over surveillance and fear that there'll be interventions from government or other institutions. So, uh, you know, I was well into my mothering, but the reflection was very interesting for me in that the, the participants in my project reinforced the things that I, I understood about my experience, but mm -hmm. I didn't realize how widespread it was um, for other women. It, privately experiencing, you know, the continued barriers, the, the worry about being under surveillance, the concern that we weren't doing the best that we could, et cetera. 
Mm-hmm. I like that word private because I think we don't have enough of a public conversation. We certainly have conversations about mothers and Mother's Day on Sunday. That is a conversation that everybody tends to have. But maybe there needs to be some room in that conversation for mothers who don't fit the able-bodied norm. What are your thoughts? I think it's really important to have those conversations and to amplify the stories and the experiences of disability and mothering. But I also, I'm so hesitant because society has so far to go to address its own internalized ableism to make it Mm -hmm. safe for women to talk about their experiences. Mm -hmm. And do you think that that change needs to start within the disability community itself? Do we need to maybe have more conversations about disability, motherhood, making our events and spaces welcoming to parents? I think it's a spot to start, but it, a larger a larger thing I think is, you know, perhaps increasing our representation in fictionalized stories about disability and mothering um, so that the general society starts to see the diversity of what our parenting might look like. Again, I, I, I just heard really clearly from the, the women who entrusted me with their stories how afraid they are that someone will think they're not doing a good enough job because mm-hmm. how they parent looks different. I think how everybody parents looks different. I know just from my own experience and talking to my friend circle, uh, you know, we've all had very different experiences with our mothers. And I think there's no rule book on this, really. You think you figure it out as you go. What kind of, uh, but but as you said, women with disabilities subjected to heightened scrutiny. So what needs to change for judges and social workers? You, you mentioned, you know, before that these are people who really tend to uh, be arbiters in terms of making decisions about who is a good parent, who is a bad parent. What do you think actually needs to change in those circles? I think that there needs to be a really in-depth review of current um, legislation, policy, and practice in those spaces. Mm-hmm. I also think that there needs to be better education on diversity. And, you know, I, I draw parallels that we've all observed during the pandemic of the, the anti-racism work that's being done and, and the systemic reviews happening in that area. And the way that we're now looking at colonialism and it's the systemic impact of colonialism on our, on the spaces and the institutions that guide our country. And so mm-hmm. I feel the same thing is really necessary around ableism in those spaces. And then a lot of hard work for those individuals who have that power to, you know, examine their thoughts about disability and examine their ideas about who should be allowed to parent or not. And then I think we can move forward. I noticed that you are in, you've been very shy about this, but I noticed that you're also an artist and you have a lot of art that goes along with your research. Tell me about your art and in what way it ties in with your broader research project. Sure. So, you know, I've, I've had a number of exhibits, small exhibits in the past, but currently I'm working on a concept for, um, that's taking the research that I conducted and and other research that I've been doing on housing and accessibility. And I'm creating an exhibit that I'm hoping to show in the fall at um, one of the housing events in Toronto. And in that, I'm going to explore the concepts of accessibility, affordability, safety, and adequate housing and women with disabilities. And so that's an example of, of for me, a, a way of, of looking at and seeing an experience differently. And it's also a way I think we can really bring policy and, and 
stories alive is through different art forms. And so that is a really good point uh, about women who are parents. We often hear about how they face additional barriers if they're fleeing domestic violence or if their living situation is untenable. How well equipped are places like uh, shelters or even the police to assist and respond to women with disabilities who might have children uh, and may want to get away from a difficult situation? I don't think they're very well equipped at all, and it's a huge barrier. We we hear two things. First of all, many um, provinces will take children away if a woman remains in an abusive situation and, and brings attention to that. So what I've heard quietly is that some women choose to stay in you know, abusive situations because they're afraid of losing custody of their children or they're afraid of losing access to an accessible home. And too often the shelters are not prepared to open their doors to you know, both a woman with a disability and their children at the same moment. So one of the things, um, a project I worked on a number of years back with Dawn Canada, we discovered that often children were staying with the abusive estranged partner while a woman went into a shelter alone. So I think right. there is a ton of work that needs to be done on that. There is a lot of work we need to do as a society on ensuring that women who have created an accessible home don't lose access to that because of a, the situation with a partner. Mm -hmm. And it's such a, uh, such a big thing, and it can be life-changing not having access to your children. Uh, tell me if you heard, uh, and I'm sure you did, but tell me if you heard uh, some positive and uplifting stories, some success stories of mothers with disabilities, because you know, I would imagine that despite the barriers, many people who get pregnant know that these barriers are ahead of them, but they choose to become mothers anyways. What are some of the joys of being a mother? I mean, I, you know, the moms who have created amazing um, community around them have access to their accessible home and the supports that they needed talked about just the joy of parenting. I had two moms in who I interviewed who had adopted children and they spoke about, you know, the amazing opportunity they have in raising a child that might have otherwise been in the system. You know, women talked about being able to, when they can attend events with their child, how exciting that is. And, you know, although my interviews were conducted before the pandemic, I've actually heard from some moms since the pandemic started and they talk about some of the accessibility changes that have happened due to the pandemic that now they get their, you know, information in, in ways that they can make accessible at home. Mm. So I, I think it's really exciting, you know, parents who have access to their partner had time off of work to support them in the, you know, the first six months or so of having a child spoke about how amazing that was co-parenting and, and the brilliance of that. So there's so much joy. And I know that often the research that I do is you're right. It's focused on what do we need to change to do better, but the joy in being a parent is just amazing. And when, um, you know, the moms would share talking about their kids and their kids learning to navigate the world, learning about diversity, it was just brilliant. You know, it is, it is a really big life-changing decision for a lot of people. If someone is listening in the audience today and they're thinking they're on the cusp of a decision, should I get pregnant? Should I get pregnant? Do I, do I do this for myself? What advice would you give them? Not just as a researcher, but also as a, as a mother, who's someone who's been around the block. 
I think that, um, first of all, there are so many amazing online communities of um, moms with different disabilities. And so I think a bit of research of connecting to those communities is, is, a, is a great step to do and talking to, you know, another mom who's been through a pregnancy with the same disability or similar disability as yourself is, is, a, is a great thing. I think um, checking into all of the accessible things that you use on a daily basis, ensuring ahead of time that those things are going to be accessible for you after your child is born is very important. Um, interview doctors. Don't be afraid to, to, if you get a bad feeling about a specialist, don't be afraid to decline their services and look for a different doctor. I know mm. it's scary to do, but the, but the moms who talked about doing that, and I mean, honestly, it's a whole other story, but I did that during my my pregnancy with my oldest son. I had a bad feeling about a doctor, and so I just decided to to find a different doctor who was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, I think those are important things to do. Check out the daycares well ahead of when you're going to need a daycare. Have candid conversations with them about your accessible accessibility needs as a parent. You know, all of those things are important. Testing your home to make sure it's going to be accessible for raising your children, I think, is important. And also consider things about your body. Your embodied experience of disability will change when you're pregnant. It might also change once you've had a child. And so be aware of those possibilities and prepared um, with your mobility devices and such. I know we have all but run out of time and I would have loved to talk to you about so much more today, but I have to ask you one question. Tomorrow is Mother's Day. And so what are you planning? I know you have a two, you, your kids are now grown, but are you planning to get together with them for Mother's Day? I'm still very much in isolation due, due to the pandemic. So I won't be um, seeing them, but um, I'll be thinking about them and hopefully getting little messages from them both. <laughs> That's nice. Well, uh, let me, on behalf of everyone listening here, wish you a happy Mother's Day. And thank you so much for joining us. It was really great to connect with you again on the program and to hear about some of the work, the amazing work that you've been up to in the last little while. Thank you for having me and happy Mother's Day. That was Jewel Smith, who you've likely heard a lot on this network before. Jewel is a disability activist, private consultant, and recently completed a PhD discussing disability and motherhood. It sounds really amazing. Well, to everyone listening, uh, happy Mother's Day. I hope you get some time to see your mom if uh, if you're able to do so or to send them a message. And, and look, I, I want to also acknowledge that Mother's Day can be difficult for people, uh, people who have lost children, people who maybe have difficult or fraught relationships with their mothers i am thinking about all of you that's all the time we have for today our technical producer is nasreen abdul majid andy frank is the manager for pmi audio thanks a lot for listening have a wonderful rest of your day This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.